Thank you for joining me on this podcast with my brother, Chase Ransdell. Um, I didn't have my brother on just to have my brother on. He's actually a public policy student at Duke. And I thought it was important to have him on because I think myself included, I tend to have, and I think other people as well, tend to have a distrust for people, maybe in positions of power in politics, positions of power in school boards, positions of power in our communities. And we maybe just have a distrust for them in general, which I think is a healthy, it's a good thing if you're just skeptic and you're skeptical and think about it critically. But I think there comes a point where we can maybe trust them in a way because they have the best at heart, even though they may disagree with us. So that's why I hope to have my brother on before maybe he's gotten into power, before he's gotten into a position where he's making decisions like that to hopefully shed light on the fact that these people who go into policy and go into power and maybe even politics have our best interests at heart and maybe even just have difficulty like any of us whenever they're faced with influence and the ability to make decisions like that. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. I really did. Chase Ransdell, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good too. We're in uh, Emo's, nope, Queenie's once again, a bar here in Durham, North Carolina. Two of us in person, looking in at person. each other eye to eye, unlike the remote scene where I didn't have to understand people's emotions and body language, but now I get to have Chase in person, which is going to be good. But Chase is, I'll let Chase do the introduction. Chase, what are you doing currently at Duke University today? I'm a student at Duke, uh, studying public policy. Um, yeah. That's what we're doing here in Durham. Public policy. Can you give a brief, what does that mean, public policy? Uh, public policy uh, looks at and studies uh, how uh, policy shapes uh, our life and um, the effects of it and studying those second and third order effects that uh are really important to be thought out during the creation of policy. Um, also, like considers the values that we um, place in society um, and how those values are in the policy that we create. So, second and third order. Yeah. We let's take an example. So, give me an example of policy and what that would actually play out and look like. Uh, one example that we talked about in class is uh, the the uh, environmental the climate change and the push to move to environmental vehicles um, and the need for uh, or the the push to go to all electric vehicles however all those electric vehicles require lithium and lithium is a very uh, dis- environmentally destructive practice to mine. Um, and so, yes, the first order effect would be that uh, greenhouse gases are being reduced by the pollution and use of fossil fuels. However, uh, it's also environmentally destructive to mine lithium. So being aware of those effects in making the best decision from there. Has it, had you, because as you even say that, I think about how nuanced 
a lot of different things become mm -hmm. whenever it's not just simply electric vehicles solve the gas problem. Like yeah. you have to think about how to mine it, how to get the mm -hmm. energy for the electric. Have you also had that awake? Has it brought any light to or maybe even sympathy for politicians mm -hmm. or school educators mm -hmm. who have to think about big things mm -hmm. that frustrate a lot of people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's made me more uh, open-minded and um, just aware of how much I don't know. Um, one of my favorite graphs is, I think I have it saved on my phone, is like, on the y-axis this is going to be hard to describe mm -hmm. but it's like how much i know how much i actually know and then it's like over time so mm -hmm. time is on the bottom mm -hmm. at the very beginning you think you know a lot then you move a long time and then it um like it increases because you think you're getting smarter mm -hmm. and then as time continues to progress it drops down dramatically or excuse me it increase whatever but yeah. the point is over time you realize how much you don't know <laughs> yeah have uh that's something that i recently was thinking about with uh politicians that i started to notice is that or even with like school administrators so a lot of videos on like my youtube recommended recently have been for book bans and stuff where like educators are like they're making pretty big decisions about like what or like what books are in libraries, what books aren't in libraries. And parents are just like foolish. Like these are dumb decisions you're making. But it's like it's never that simple. Mm -hmm. But it's like how would you it'd be I'm just trying to think of a way to find a balance between like how do we respect people who are in power and making decisions like politicians or school administrators while also giving our honest feedback, like trying to find a balance with politicians where it's like, I understand how difficult it is, but you ultimately work for us. Mm -hmm. And like, how would you as, I mean, we have, I know you're kind of not necessarily definitely set on politics, but from like a, if you were set in a point where you were making policy, mm -hmm. How would you go about trying to help people understand like mm. I'm not it's not just a one and it's not just me saying we're going to ban these books like but it's a long way a long like set of decisions and chain of people that we have to think about in that way if that makes sense. So like defending a book ban because I feel like a lot of the people that are doing book bans are doing it just to because it's like a hot topic right now and mm -hmm. it's easily it's easy to like uh please their voters or it's what's in the news yeah i know i i fr i was having a hard time phrasing yeah. my thought i'm just I, I mean, if if you're trying to like educate somebody on uh well it's hard because of social media people sometimes don't want to hear what you have to say yeah um Yeah, I mean, I would just try and talk to people. If I was in a position to be like a politician, I would just uh, share my thinking as much as I could and go out and meet with people as much as I could to share 
and build empathy for each other um, and definitely not divide uh, people along political lines. So, like, I don't know if it's just me not knowing enough about, like, city politics and larger politics at large and people who, like, is it common for people to because i know we hear like town halls and like people giving their opinions and stuff but like i don't understand it seems like a very common sense thing that people would go out consistently Mm -hmm. and hear the vote but i just that wasn't something that i was ever made aware of like it seemed like it was kind of a hidden thing why do you think that do you think politicians are tired of having to explain like do you think it comes to a point where it's like i'm tired of having to explain to you these backdoor decisions that i know a lot more than you do no i think that's their job um um, yeah, and I think that's their job. And I think if they get to that point, they should retire. <laughs> mm. Um, because we put them in that position to make those uh, decisions and share their thinking that they're, they're supposed to represent us. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a ridiculous thing to ask for. That's okay. So I, yeah, I see that. And then I just, so in the Idaho, I don't know if you heard about like the murders in Idaho. Yeah. I didn't really read about it a lot. So recently there have been like people, I I hadn't really thought of this before, but people, police in Idaho were almost getting frustrated at the amount of like opinions and ideas from common people who were like, they were coming up with these ideas and these theories and the police were like, you have to stop. (laughs) <laughs> like mention like do you think it's different with police or do you think it's similar to where citizens are like oh i know that i know why she put that policy in power it's because she oh I, I like do you think are two different things. two different things yeah i would say like an active investigation <laughs> and somebody with that's just like ignorant i think i would say to make a recommendation to police if you you have no idea the information that the police have and i don't know maybe not during an active investigation, at least, yeah. um, to recommend stuff to police because, I mean, they're professionals. They know what they're doing. And then, but for a, a politician, I mean, I think uh, their job is getting input from the community. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, That's the whole point is yeah. to receive input yeah. from the people who elected yeah. them. Um, okay. So let's dive back a little bit. So Chase did teach for America after his service in the military as an officer. So you served in San Antonio. What do you think would be, do you think that that was a catalyst for you to come back to school? Was that, was there, was there stuff there you learned that maybe not blew your mind, but were insanely eye opening to the facts that maybe you hadn't thought about before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, after the army, I would say, um, joining teach for America, uh, and learning about things I had never been taught in school, um, such as redlining or historical like inequities. You don't really learn about that. Um, growing up or it's not actively taught, you can probably pursue it through certain degrees, but I wasn't ever taught those things. And you see all of the injustices. Uh, and so that made me want to go back and to school to 
uh, uh, fix those, I guess, historical wrongs. So, yeah, that is something that is, like, I don't know, just I know that a lot of us maybe don't see, like, the actual groundwork for schools that maybe, like, just coming from a private school, I know that I didn't see those types of things, but you go into that environment, it's a whole different scenario. Mm -hmm. But thinking about the idea of reading about things in the past that were wrong. Yeah. Do you think that there is ever a point at which it becomes impractical or do you think that is always essential or maybe always a nice thing to read about those things as a con- as a context for the present situation? Yeah, I think yeah, I think what you just said is a context for the present situation because it continues those things that have happened in the past continue to um affect where we are today and affect people's lives have a direct impact on their lives today. So a point to that that I would be curious to hear your opinion on. So Ben Shapiro, famous conservative commentator, is like, he says, so there's no like explicit, he says like systemic racism, but I think he acknowledges in the past there has been, but he was like, show me a law where we can fight together and let's fight together as if. Like, what would you say to him to like, maybe where there's no explicit, I can't remember what, if he said, I don't, I don't think he agrees that redlining is a problem anymore. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what he says. Yeah. There may be not, let me uh, try and find this quote. Um, Something along the lines of in class was like um, the thing about like a, a misconception about the past is that. Um, we have these active laws that like Jim Crow laws that are, uh, you know, actively hurting minorities mm-hmm. or people of color. Um, and you know, there may be some, but not, I don't know any off the top of my head that are actively like to the Jim Crow level. Like discriminatory. Yeah. yeah. But one thing that, um, that's not to say it still doesn't affect people's lives because these, these institutions, for example, <clears throat> like uh, uh, the denial of home loans um, to people of color um, significantly um, disadvantaged those families and denied them the opportunity to grow and build wealth and mm-hmm. see a huge racial wealth gap. Uh, and then that goes into housing and neighborhoods are undervalued because it's deemed by housing authorities that those are undesirable neighborhoods or crime ridden neighborhoods. But in reality, it's just community of color. And then schools are funded by property taxes. And then those schools that those kids go to are under resourced. And it's just a cycle. Um, and so while you can eliminate a law that says, oh, we won't discriminate based off of uh, race when it comes to giving out a home loan. Mm-hmm. All those effects that I just talked about, like the second and third order effects that I mentioned earlier, are still exist, and those neighborhoods still exist, and the way the schools are funded still exists. But even though you took that active step to um, eliminate bias or racism in giving out a home loan, all those things still exist. And so I think 
one one quote that I remember from class that I really uh, appreciated was it was like it doesn't take a uh, uh, like a bad person or yeah, like a racist or actively racist person to uphold these systems. Like we need to actively um, examine the laws and the effects of those laws that they're having in our communities today. So when I think of my first thought is, okay, so what would be the solution? And I know that's not just to, Oh, what's the solution? You're like, yeah, this is it. Cause I'm sure that someone has probably like, we've put probably hours and hours and hours and degrees into mm-hmm. researching this type of thing. But I've heard people say, you know, school choice or things like this, where they're able to maybe escape from these schools that may be under-resourced. Mm-hmm. That's creating like a competition of sorts where schools are having to fight to get quality teachers or invest more money because they need it from other, maybe there's other places that are getting money that isn't as essential as a school, which I would say is probably, I don't know if you'd agree that is education is probably a one-way ticket to, or is a closer one-way ticket to getting out of poverty and mm-hmm. getting out of a situation like that. So what would be your thought on maybe school choice as an, as a solution? Well, I think school choice, that's, I mean, school choice, then if, <laughs> if you had a, public school no one wanted to go to and they all left maybe certain kids couldn't leave that school then they're kind of left out to dry but that's what that's the argument kind of against school choice that's the only i would and this is i guess where people may fall away from the argument but it's like if you force a school almost like a market to invest more money into their education because i don't know I couldn't tell you exactly how money is, if it's only property taxes or if it's only, or if it's only certain places, but I'm sure there are more resources that could go to education that maybe aren't. But if it was a system where it becomes like a market and now the school has to compete against other schools or they lose funding, where they're going to make drastic choices to make education better in a way that maybe they hadn't had to in the past. I just think, I think education is not, I think we need to like get away from thinking of education as like a market, like a business. Um, and think of, it's just not a business. It's not, uh, you're, you're there to develop and build kids. And I think it creates negative incentives to for schools if we do that to br- uh, uh, just keep them moving along or that's how you just get focused on um standardized testing in in focusing on the test and studying to the test it doesn't really develop the kids in a way because they're so focused on uh achieving a certain state score to where it's not valuable. I think we just need to rethink education and um, how we fund education in a way that just invests in, uh, in, in children and um, in a way that no one is, 
enters, I have not met anyone, at least in my experience, that has entered into education to like they're doing it because they want to teach kids and develop kids. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people have inherently good values when they become a teacher. And mm-hmm. so I don't feel like you have to motivate people through like a improver get out like a business mm-hmm. you would because like people are trying to earn a profit for a business for their own sake mm-hmm. um i don't think public schools should be thought of as that way do you so like do you have something maybe in mind necessarily like not necessarily a one step fix all solution but are there things that you thought about in the past like maybe this would work yeah i think like what like alpha is an interesting idea of like it's just hard because the way our school system is set up now of like students should be uh taught like you know grade level math reading and if they don't achieve that standard they just keep working on it they shouldn't be passed along like i don't think there should be necessarily like kindergarten first second third it should just be uh essentially different tiers almost like you have elementary school phase middle school phase high school phase and there's certain like benchmarks you have to uh achieve but students um and they could seek like individualized help uh, depending on what point they're at and i think you have to use technology um, to do that because it's not possible for teachers to reach every single kid and give them mm-hmm. that indi- individualized feedback. But I think with technology, if students were given that uh, practice, they could get that help they need, work on those skills. Because no one, there shouldn't be students with a third grade reading level in seventh grade or eighth grade. Um, that shouldn't exist. And I think that happens now because it's so focused on standardized tests that they get passed along and um, it just sets them further back. But if we use technology effectively, um, they could get individualized help and to a point where they, I think they would develop faster. And that's the thing about alpha is they have this enormous pool of money there. So that's what, the money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. And that's where I wonder, that's what I keep coming back to think, is where is the money going to come from? I think um, moving the budget around and really looking at state budgets, I don't know any numbers off the top of my head, but I know education is under underfunded, um, whether it's federal or state level. So, I mean, it, it would just start with funding. And that's what, I don't know if they have an incentive to change besides just good nature and that's why i would wonder if from you, what what would, what do you mean like like what else would be more important than education no 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 i'm i agree i'm saying i so the state of texas i know is like i remember we learned about this in political science 206 at texas a&m or 207 and like i wonder what would make a state want to invest more money into the schools i mean i guess it'd be demand from the people but ultimately unless you i feel like you do something drastic 
where school that's that's the only thing that makes me think of school choice is like that's a drastic change where school where the state's going to be like okay we're going to lose like we need to shift more money around because now we're going to get maybe i don't know I'm, I'm trying to phase it out my mind but i just it's hard for me to think that something's going to change if it's seems like such a simple solution of more money but it's like then what what are we not doing because like we keep trying this i don't know i remember that's one thing that i've read from mike yates he's a big guy in education in austin around the austin area he used to be in austin i don't know where he is now but he talks about how we've been doing education the same way he doesn't talk about funding but like he's been doing education the same way for so long so i don't know what's going to make a change because like schools like alpha work because they have money to try it yeah exactly yeah and i just can't think of an i don't know where else the money would come from if it's reallocation of money Mm -hmm. or if it's changing the whole entirety of school systems where it's like a business where they're incentivized to make money and then that money in a surplus allows them to make different changes with maybe technology and stuff that's the only thing that appeals about a business is that they're then like incentivized to say we need to make money so we can help our kids but the flip side is that it can be a tragic failure in Mm -hmm. that right um yeah yeah i mean it would have to be a cultural change of how we think about education i think there are a lot of people that are passionate you know whether it is right or left like people really care about education and people get really pissed if they think education is uh not being taught the right way whether that's wrong or right in your opinion but Mm -hmm. people truly i think care about education but for some reason it hasn't shown in budget yeah Um, okay so let's i'm curious to kind of hear your thoughts on this so i agree i think that a lot of people who go especially into office who want to make changes mm -hmm. maybe at a state level or a federal level they have a good heart but yeah. it seems like, I don't know if it's just on the conservative side, but it seems like there's a lot of, that's not hatred, that's too strong a word, but close to hatred for like politicians in general. People who go in, I don't know if you agree with that sentiment where politicians maybe have, are looked down as a negative thing. Like it seems like, you know, the local representatives are good and then it goes up to the state level and suddenly they become these evil, maniacal tyrants. Like, do you think that that is a common sentiment among both parties? Yeah. Yeah, I think. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I think people really don't, especially now, have a good view of politicians. And that's what, like, but do you think that, because, like, I think of you and I think of your heart as you go into, maybe not even politics, but into a policymaking role where you have this power mm-hmm. and where people are like commonly skeptical. Mm-hmm. But do you think that... Which is good. Yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, I think it's right that they're good, they're mm-hmm. skeptical. But it comes a point where it's like, if you're just constantly berating people, yeah. like I think yeah. of Joe Biden right now, you have people on the conservative side yeah. who are like, he's a he's a moron. Yeah, and yeah. then Donald Trump, they're like, he's not my president. It's like, oh, well, how do we expect to make progress if we don't even... It's not even necessarily constructive, but it's just like... Idiot, moron. Oh, he he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's yeah. a he's delusion. Like, well, I think too. But to be fair, he kind of started that. 
Who? Donald Trump. No, I... Yeah. Well, you think that criticism of other people has started with Donald Trump? No, but I think he uh, kind of was a catalyst to allow and kind of gave people permission to attack personally. And he, I think he kind of stoked a lot of like the personal attacks and really like let the floodgates open of this kind of like uh, rhetoric and stuff. Yeah. Even among the, I remember just as you said, the primaries, whenever it was yeah. like lion, was it lion? Did he say lion yeah, Ted? Every, yeah. Every yeah. Time. He had a nickname for everybody. Yeah. But yeah, I but I don't know. That's the thing. That's what makes me think. It's not just like him because he was supposedly a representative who was different from politicians in that people claimed he was like the common man. That's what makes me think it's like it wasn't necessarily Donald Trump, but it was like people who wanted to hear a voice. Mm -hmm. And then Trump was the voice of people who were like, oh, the swamp, like, mm -hmm. like what the swamp? Like mm -hmm. they just throw these huge mm -hmm. words out mm -hmm. that I don't know. It just it seems like there's no, unless it's your side, mm -hmm. it's just derogatory. And, but are, do you think that the majority of politicians are actually like, once they get up to, we'll talk about the federal level only. Do you think that the majority of people maybe in Congress or in the Senate or in the Congress or the Senate or the house, do you think that those people are actually still truly holding yeah. true to their values? Oh yeah. I think I would say, Oh, uh, vast majority are um um if you i mean if you think about it like there are so many uh representatives and senators that you don't even know the names to but like the people that are the most outspoken probably 90% of the attention goes to 10%, mm -hmm. 5% of politicians that people would say they have an issue with. But there are so many representatives, so many senators that just do their jobs, I think, and have are serving their constituents. Do you think that, do you think those, those politicians who did earn like the criticism for maybe not necessarily being like, or corrupt is the word that comes to mind. Do you think that that was something, just from a personal standpoint, do you think that was something that came with the money? Do you think that was something that was maybe in the background as they entered politics and they saw it as a gateway to express or to earn that money? Like, do you think that, like, as you even maybe think about joining or like going into politics, do you have a fear at all that the influence and the money and the power like could do you think that every politician has a similar fear of that or do you think that some people just go in and are like they're ready to be corrupt and ready to take over and ready to have the power or do you think that like I, i'm thinking of nancy pelosi like i'm not gonna i don't want to hide my thoughts but like sh i know she makes a ton of money off of like inside not necessarily insider training because that's like a crime but it's still like suspicious sometimes the amount of money she makes and like i wonder if she like, I wonder if she knew if she thought about making that much money from the start or if she got to that point and then saw the money and was like, oh, dude, like I could make a lot of money here and I'm going to try to stay here. Mm. Like, what do you think about Nancy Pelosi? And that's not necessarily what do you think about Nancy Pelosi, but like just the state of influence and power that people have in that position. Do you think that it's something that? I mean, uh, 
I don't know enough about her, but um, or like tr- trading and stuff. But I know like a lot of people don't think Congress uh, people members of Congress should be able to trade stocks, which doesn't. I mean, on the surface, doesn't sound like a bad idea. Um, and then term limits and everything. I mean, they're rotated every two years, so so I mean you're saying like do you think they go into it like i'm gonna try and make as much money as possible or like i even think i think is it kevin mccarthy who's yeah. been he's been there for like ever yeah. him and nancy nancy pelosi both yeah like they maybe get rotated out like they have the possibility yeah, yeah. to get rotated out yeah. but they stay there for yeah. a lot long and i would yeah. wonder if they're so tempted because they have the power uh, and the yeah, influence for sure yeah i think yeah i think people are definitely driven by the power they have and not wanting to give that up for sure. Do you think that's something that's uh, that's the there we go. Now my question actually has fruition. So do you think that was something that they actively thought about as they went into politics, both uh, Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy? Do you think uh, they went in saying, "Wow, I can have a lot of power, and if I can use it to make money, I, I will." Because that seems like a I just seems no. like a scary thing to have that much power, and it's like something that I think that's just like human nature, though. Yeah, yeah, that it's just. Like given that amount of money, yeah, because yeah. it's easy for me to say nice. that's wrong, but yeah. it's like I've never seen that amount of money. Yeah. I've never seen the amount of comfort that they have, and that's what I—that's where I get frustrated because people are like, "All these politicians are corrupt," and I hate the government. And it's like because they see, like you said, that ten percent who maybe have been poor stewards of what they've been given. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's like we've yeah. never been in that standpoint. And that's what I well, wish. I, I think there's a lot of people that are also doing the right thing, whether it's a city level or yeah, any level. And that's what I don't, that's what is just so frustrating about politics. It seems like that's what draws the most votes. Yeah, right, right. And yeah. so I don't, can you think of a way that we could, do you think it's ever possible to go back? With where yeah. how far we've gone now with yeah. the insults and with the derogatory statements. Yeah. Um, one interesting discussion we had was uh, if mandatory national service would bring people together mm. um, and ease some of the, like, the hostilities. Interesting. Yeah. Where do you fall on that? I don't know. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Because you've served. I mean, you've yeah. been you've been in the army, and I know I've heard a few counterpoints I've heard is like people are like, oh, I don't want to kill people, but it's like there's so many different opportunities in the army. Well, that are just, and not even just the army. You could uh, it could be AmeriCorps. You could mm, work in oh, school, you could oh clean parks. You could yeah yeah do a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but just national service for a year. I mean, it's a, like logistics. It's a huge operation but yeah um just like theoretically i think it'd be cool like serving and bringing people together from different walks of life and um having them serve together would Mm. be interesting and i think it wouldn't be a bad idea but it i mean there's a lot that would go into that yeah for like how long would it be if you're in college, when would you serve? Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. For people who maybe don't want to go to college or yeah. if it's like at the age of 18, but yeah. they're ready to go to college yeah. and they, yeah, it's a, I mean, cause I know what Israel, Israel does one year Israel or like a few South years Korea. of South Korea. Um, yeah. A few countries do. I'd be curious to hear their opinions on it, but yeah. Okay. So 
we think I think about the present state of the conservative party and we have it seems like a lot of people are speculating that 2024 will be like the curtain's going to be pulled back and we're going to see like where do the alliances fall if it's with DeSantis because it seems like recently Trump's been Trump like made that mm-hmm. what nickname mm-hmm. he's like this uh oh dissanctimonious yeah dissanct and yeah. it's like dude but it's like yeah. it seems like that will be a telling yeah where they will go where it will go current state of the Republican Party 2024 as a public policy Chase Ransdell what would you hope where would you hope the conservative party goes in relation to maybe its past or its platform if it's if it needs if it needs a radical transformation like yes. what would you and so yeah okay explain <laughs> i want to hear your thoughts in regards to what where would you okay let's first start where would you hope that the conservative party goes is it not even with DeSantis or Trump? Do you think that? Oh, you're talking about with a specific person? Oh, yeah, because I mean, it does seem like they are the guideposts for the for the Republican Party. I mean, you had people who are saying Republican mm-hmm. in name only when people yeah. denied Trump. Yeah. So it seems like it is a who. It's not necessarily a what, because the values may be differing. But... I don't know who. Uh, um, I don't know anyone off the top of my head that I would agree with. Uh, Conservative wise, I mean, yeah, Trump, obviously with all the stuff that he did, I mean, then and you have DeSantis that sent uh, uh, migrants to northern states, like, which also is like uh, just a political stunt, which we just talked about. I was like, that's only benefiting him. That's not effective. Like, who is he serve? Like, there's just a value that I don't agree with. Like, uh, that's just violating basic, like, humanity of people, um, which I think the Republicans have just, like, lost touch with. Um, and even with, like, uh, abortion, like, if, if, uh, they want to, like, make abortion illegal in states, which is now, like, at the state level, but, like, you can't outlaw abortion and then restrict like there's not even fate paid family leave. Like we don't even have simple policies like that. If we're going to make that legal or illegal, then you better make 12 weeks of paid family leave. You better um, provide extensive parental support. Like there's just so much, uh, that the values that contradict within the conservative party that need to be fixed, um, that don't line up with people's actions. Okay. I'm going to, I'm curious to hear more about your thoughts on the migrants, because I personally, I personally was, I thought that was genius because, because you have people in Northern states who don't maybe have to deal with the influx of immigrants that Southern states do, and they don't have to bear that weight. And then you have Southern states who are like, and then they feel convicted by the Northern states because they're like, you hate immigrants. You hate all like, and, but they're like, we can't always sustain this amount. So if you think that is so essential, you should have them. I don't think, yeah. (laughs) I think that is like easy, like the message that they were trying to send, but that's just not the way to do it. Like, I think, um, 
it's very like, i think it's very manipulative and an abusive power to send people like as a political toy to send a message to northern states yes i think what you said is true like those northern states maybe don't have to have to deal with the infrastructure to to bring in uh like refugees or migrants from other countries um and it's not it's such a present um issue for them but i just don't think like the action of using people as a political uh message or tool is like is so like an abuse of power like i said earlier and does not even if like you can disagree if you know on immigration policy like that you can still respect people's humanity while you're doing that and that's just not a way to do that like think about like if you're a family like who knows like if you're a family and you just get sent up to this northern state like that's just so insane to me like people are coming to the united states for a better opportunity Mm -hmm. and they're treated that way um and yeah and and so yeah i think i mean but i think yeah northern states sure yeah like um our immigration system does need to be improved um but i think it's just like the message that it's sent and using people as a political tool to send that message is uh (laughs) irreprehensible uh to me Mm. it just seems i don't know it just seems like it's very unfair for northern states to heap the criticism without i don't know how much of a part they play in i don't know if they help the but that's where i would maybe even flip what you were talking about abortion it's like these northern states say let them in or you're racist and then they're like I would say that if you're going to say that, then you need to help out the southern states who need more money and need more infrastructure and need more housing. But they're like, no, no, no. We like, I don't know. I don't don't know know if anybody's saying no, but I don't think anybody's saying let them in or you're racist. I I don't know. I would disagree. (laughs) Especially in Texas, it seems like people do not like Greg Abbott for that reason because he has borders. I think that kind of going back to what we were saying about Trump earlier, like he created that environment, like by saying. We're having these criminal, like pr- painting people in that way. Like he's creating that narrative, that racist narrative that these people coming up are criminals. And um, when that's maybe a very small population of the people that are seeking a better life in the United States. I may be and wrong. You could have different, like, I think there should be a smart immigration policy. Um, to to make sure we have control of people that are coming in and doing it in a smart way. And I don't think our system is set up for that right now, but I think to say, to, to advance that, to say like we need to limit the number of people that are coming in by saying they are criminals and painting everybody with that broad stroke I mean, it's racist. Like, yeah, I mean, it is to to paint all people in that way and to paint it 
I don't believe he did that. I don't think he. I think he was talking about MS50. I do. I feel like if it was the one quote that I'm thinking of, I don't know if we're thinking of the same thing. But I do remember one where he was I'm like, just "They're about sending general narrative of immigration." I don't. But I don't know if I would agree it's with like, that statement. It's like, well, from my perspective, and what I've seen from Republicans is that these people are coming and they're criminals taking our jobs. Um, not paying taxes, stuff like that. But they aren't. They aren't paying taxes, and they. That's what I'm. But it's 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 deeper than that. It's like it's it's like they are coming to take your way of life. Like it's it becomes very personal. It's not in in, in racist. It's like they are coming to take your way of life. It's like not promoting multiculturalism and um, and it's just not American because we're built on immigrants. And so I think it's just the messaging that they – it's not about immigration policy in my opinion. It's about attacking uh, – and appealing to like people's fears about another race coming into the United States. And so that's, okay. So that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm, that's what it's like. Whenever I proposed earlier, like don't let them in your racist. It seems like you were baffled at that idea. But what you just said is that exact premise. It's like, if, if any of these border States say, look, we, we don't want these people to come in. I don't think people are saying that. I don't, but you just said it. Yeah. But I don't think it's saying, Hey, we don't have the infrastructure to deal with this. You know what I'm saying? I, I hear what you're saying. Argument. I think I think you could say, hey, we do not have the infrastructure to deal with these people coming in. We need help from northern states. Um, it's saying that's one argument, which I think is fair, and saying, hey, we need help from these northern states because uh, we can't deal with the demand of uh, people coming in. Uh, we can't process all of these people. It's too much to... I think that's different than what it, Republicans are currently saying. Mm. I guess, I guess, sense? yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I think it's just because I, di- I disagree with that, but I guess it's just a perspective on, because I would be, that's where, that's where my heart comes in about Greg Abbott is where I really doubt that Greg Abbott is saying, I do not want the Mexicans to come in. And I, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think that way. Maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know him. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's, he uh, maybe he doesn't feel that way, but I think it is wrong for him to appeal and use that card essentially to benefit him. Use the card of appealing to that because he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying when he says those things. Who Greg Abbott? When Even, he says what? We don't want these those quote unquote. I thought that was Trump. I don't think that was Abbott. I don't uh, think I've ever heard Abbott say that type of stuff. But it seems like it's hard for te- like. Because Texas is in such a catch-22 where you have, like, miles and thousands of miles of border. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah, I, don't, I guess we just maybe disagree on where the sentiment lies with Greg Abbott. Tra- Trump, I can well, see a little bit more to your side, but Greg but Abbott. even if he doesn't feel that way, he's still appealing to that fear in people, which is wrong. I guess we just disagree. Because I, I think he comes from it. It's like, we don't have the infrastructure. No, I don't think so. I would have to pull up. I don't know any 
But that's that seems like a serious accusation against the guy. Like that's what I'm saying. It seems like because I've never heard Greg Abbott personally say, "Yeah, that's why." Yeah, let's see. But like, I would personally bet that even the idea because I don't we don't even have quotes, but him saying, "You take them," you infer even maybe. You have a Wi-Fi password. I don't. Like you infer, like you. I would. I don't know if this is your first thought, but you think that he is doing that, and we don't have quotes from him. And you're like, I think he's appealing to a standard where it's like Mexicans can't come in. I mean, I have seen this. I mean, I'm not just like making it up. I don't think you're making it up. This stuff. I've seen him uh, like talk like this and communicate like this before. But I, yeah, that's. I just don't know a specific quote off the top of my head. No, I, yeah, I don't expect you to. But that's like. Because I don't know. Again, that's where I, I really wish there was more context to everything. Because, like, I, that's again, I, I may just be naive, but I genuinely think that he has Texas Texans' interests at heart. And if he says, look, these people will come in and if it's illegal, because I mean, sure, illegal immigration in Texas is. Because if that's the case, I don't know why even legal immigration would be legal. Legal immigration would be allowed in Texas if that was the case. If he really, truly did not want people coming in and taking their way of life, why would he allow legal immigration at all from Mexico or from other countries? Why would he allow legal immigration? Yeah, if it's if it's a, if if he well, not a lot of people are. I mean, the process to do that is such a small number. I disagree. No, that's not true. There's like hundreds the of thousands process? of people that come in from Mexico every year. I think you wrote. Didn't you write about how that needs to be fixed? Yeah, I know, but it's because the amount of people, so the amount of people that come from Mexico is like vastly outnumbers any country. Amount of, the one of people who come, want to come here legally. Mm-hmm. And, but we have per country limits on countries. Right. So you have countries like Mexico, mm-hmm. maybe they have maybe they have 10 million people want to come in and we have mm-hmm. like a per country limit of 7%. So they maybe have 70,000 people that can come in. So there will be a small, like there is a small amount, but there are a ton of people who want to come. And I would, I just don't understand if Greg Abbott says, if Greg Abbott believes it's the way of life, why even allow anybody from Mexico to come to the United States or Texas in general? Um, I think to power is one. I think of like, think about like, if we improved, uh, uh, immigration, um, and we had all a uh, great increase in the number of huge increase in the number of uh, uh, Mexican immigrants into Texas. Mm-hmm. That would change voting, uh, and that would be a threat to him because it could potentially lead to him getting voted out of office which is a threat to people's way of life because mm-hmm. they may not be conservative. Um, so I think he's appealing to that fear in people. That's a good point. Okay, so let's shift to the current state of the Democratic Party. So we have the Democratic Party where, I don't know, in the past it seems like the Democratic Party was a great counterbalance to maybe Republican ideology about like personal responsibility and like pulling yourself by your, up by your bootstraps, but the Democratic Party was like a great safety net for people who maybe couldn't, or maybe it was like almost the compassionate side to, it was like a good yin yang to 
the Republicans? Do you think that they're st- still currently in that state? Because it seems like to me that maybe it's just the 10%, like we referenced earlier, who it just seems like it's mostly more about just stopping the conservatives and stopping the, I don't know. It just seems like it maybe isn't even that anymore. I don't know if it is to me, maybe. I don't know. What do you think? Of still trying to help people? No, just like the current state of the Democratic. Do you think that they've still, do you think that they've departed from maybe what, like I, I believe that conservatives have departed a little bit from what maybe their original, some of their original great parts were. Do you think the Democratic Party has changed much at all? Do you think that it still is similar and doing a good job of being that safety net for people? Um, uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of good that is still being done. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they're still passing the good legislation and yeah, I would say so. Do you, would you agree with the sentiment? I, so I come from, I come from this statement thinking about like the importance of words like so whenever i hear you know trump make nicknames for people that are just like it doesn't help anybody yeah 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 and then i I think of today i would argue and i would from my point of view it seems like the words that people use that have serious connotations like racism yeah or homophobia yeah or stuff like that I think that they have also been used in a way similar to Trump where it's like this label and where it's very easy to throw around. And it, I don't know if it destroys careers, but it does seem like it's a serious word that may be yeah. thrown around more than what is appropriate. Do you think mm. that that is a true sentiment? Do you think that I it's think called for? It's different for, I mean, I think like specifically like racism. I think there's like different types of racism. And I think it hasn't really been. I think like we think a uh, vast majority, I think the public thinks of racism as like using a slur at somebody, um, actively discriminating against someone, uh, like not hiring somebody because of their race or uh, sexual orientation or, or mm-hmm. not for racism at least. Um, but I think there's also different forms of racism. That is like what people think of racism is interpersonal racism, which I think that still definitely exists. And so I think when, when people on the left think of uh, racism now, it's talking about racism in many forms, not necessarily like inter interpersonal racism, which I think is what many people think of. I don't know if that really made sense, but no, it does. Yeah. That's, but that's where my support for using those words falls apart because yeah, right. it is like, cause you have a word that for so long, like if we were to pull it up on right. Webster's, it'd be like an active prejudice against someone of, a, or a belief that someone was inferior because of their right, race. Right, right, and it right, seems like right. a dangerous precedent yeah. to, begin introducing a new definition yeah. where I can now say, yeah. oh, you're racist and yeah. I can't argue or I'm racist. Yeah. And that's where I think it, that's where I lose support and lose confidence in people who 
are of the left because I'm like, I don't even know anymore when the definition is going to yeah. change. Yeah, I think like, yeah, like I said, like, do I think that um, white people are better than black people? No. Like inherently better? No. But have I, in my actions, like, upheld certain things? Yeah, I think I have. Um, which is racist. But it is, it is, uh, yeah, I think, like, there needs to be a new term. Like, like what I said earlier, like, it doesn't um, take a necessarily bad person to uphold like systems that are evil. What we were talking about earlier with like redlining, like somebody that is not interpersonally racist could be working in some system that upholds um, like white supremacy or some racist action or law. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. Do you have like something you think of whenever you say that? Because even as you say that, I'm like, uh, well, I mean, because people will say so many different systems are like right. racist, and I'm like, or the police system even. They're like, the police system was built and is a foundation for it, and you're like, people would classify that even maybe as a white supremacist organization, mm -hmm. and it's like so, and that's where again my support falls apart because I'm like, you can, because I don't, I would argue that it's not white people who are making those decisions. It's people. I think white people made those systems. No, I agree. Yeah. I'm saying the people who are saying now. It is racist. And then from a standpoint where I feel scared to even challenge them on the idea, because I'm like, well, what are they going to call me a racist? And now because I'm challenging them. I think. Well, I think like um, it's just important to have conversations like earnest conversations with people like this one on one that are honest and asking good questions as opposed to typing like live on facebook why do you think that <laughs> yeah yeah no i yeah I, I think that is a valuable thing and that i hope it goes in that way i don't know i don't know how similar it is but it seems like even with twitter like with elon buying twitter i see a lot of i don't know if it again it's just that like, it seems like a lot of things that i think are due to the 10 percent, like we talked mm -hmm, about earlier you yeah. say a lot of stuff yeah but it seems like a lot of people were not fans of elon taking over right because they're fearful of what i thought i thought would be twitter would be this new place where there wouldn't be as much hatred <laughs> or i know i can i know i disagree with that now that i say that but it seems like it seems like there'd be a lot more free speech on twitter now but it seems like people are not a fan of that idea and that's what i would hope would happen on twitter like we're doing and i thought that's what would happen mm -hmm. but a lot of people were not fans of his purchase well because I, I don't think people thought it would be like oh we can honestly share i don't know if the internet <laughs> would ever be a place where it'd be like where people would be like oh i honestly don't understand your side and somebody on the other side would be like oh taking the time to Maybe I'm just pessimistic, but I don't think people would, I don't have that outlook on that people would be yeah, honestly you. trying to help each other via Twitter. Yeah. I think that'd have to happen in like in person. Do you think, yeah, because I mean, that's something I know we talked about this before just at home, but it was like Jordan Peterson was like, we eliminate the ability for people to 
create burners or to not have profile pictures or to not have a name attached. Like if you get rid of that, worse. I know. I I think he's saying get rid of it to where people have to put their name and they have Uh, to put their profile because uh, the things uh. you say now, because like on Twitter, it seems like there's a lot of people who are just like, uh, you're you're a race or you're an idiot libtard. Like you say stuff like that and you don't have your name attached and you can sell as crazy. But if you made Twitter into a place where now I have to put my name, I put my profile picture. That it seems like it'd be a lot more constructive because now I'm not talking to Jeremy Mann, 64. Yeah. I'm talking to Chase Ransdell, yeah. yeah. who is a father and who is. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that in principle. That makes sense. I just don't know how realistic that is. Yeah, I wish. I mean, I wish that'd be a thing. Maybe yeah. it will be. Who knows if I'll change it that way? But yeah, it seems like then people would be like, "How are you going to identify me? I don't want you to. I don't want my information." Yeah, I agree, and I think that's where the beauty. And we talked about this before too. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts again. Because it's been a while, but that's where I would think it's good that a private company like Twitter can say, okay, then don't use our platform. Like go somewhere else then. If you don't want to have that, then don't go to, go to parlor or go to Facebook where you can, maybe you don't have to do that. Yeah. But do you think, do you think that Twitter has the ability, should have the ability to ban accounts like that? We've talked about this in the past, but like Kanye. So Kanye goes on there, says this stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. As a private company, I know mm-hmm. we've, do you think that they're in a size and a reach now where it is almost a public square? And we're, so forget Kanye, because that's kind of a very me- a mess. But do you think that Twitter is such a big place now in size and users where it is like the public square, where free speech should reign and that Twitter should be removed from the ability to ban people unless it is speech that is banned by the Constitution? Hmm. I think there should be um I mean, it's hard. Um I think they I don't think a private company should hold that power to ban users. Yeah. Or to censor speech. Yeah. Hmm. Even because they are then interpreting the constitution, not the government. So even speech that would be considered violent or calls to violence should not be banned. No, 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 no. I'm saying yes. Like the, the constitutional definition should be implemented, but it's just hard because then you're tasking Twitter, a private company to, to enforce the constitution on and determine that like on politicians and the president and Mm. make those determinations. So logically following that line, Donald Trump's account should not have been suspended. Yeah. But I think there needs to be like legislation. Like I just, I don't know. I think that's very hard. I don't, if the government does not do anything, then Twitter, unless it like, I don't know. It's very, very difficult. Um, Like, okay, so you have two sides of it. What I'm thinking is you have the private company that's making determinations on what they think is appropriate or not, like Mm -hmm. their own code of conduct. Yep. And then you have the government, which has First Amendment 
free speech. Um, so I think it's easier if the private, just giving Twitter the ability to ban people and just say, Hey, you can't use our service mm-hmm. at this point. Cause then you would just have a government run social media. Um, yeah. Website. Which is kind of the whole antithesis of Twitter. It seems like. Yeah. It seems like at least Twitter that is like is supposed to. Well, I don't know if that was the original. I think the original point was like I can tweet 140 characters yeah. of a meme. Yeah. But now it's like you had Trump who got banned, and then you have people saying crazy stuff on there, and it's like it evolved to such a point. Oh, I don't know how many users it has. I mean, millions and millions and millions. Mm-hmm. It's not a simple solution, but it does seem one like like a decision that can have a lot bigger consequences because you had Donald Trump's tweets and people argued that at even, it even, what is the word? Like deteriorates democracy mm-hmm. and can, I don't know, a lot of big things from Twitter that, I don't know how it's going to change. I think I was right though. I think it was a decision to ban him. How does that follow with what you're saying? Oh, because they're a private company. Yeah, you said yeah, that in yeah. the private company yeah. said the right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think a private company, good. I mean, then and the, but the difficulty is, I think we talked about before, is it's not very simple to build a platform like Twitter, and it seems like it. I think, like it's so big. But I mean, you have Parler, yeah. you have Facebook, Truth. you have Instagram, you have what? Truth is that Donald Trump's platform? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can build your own. You really can. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, it is. But then you get silos of information where people only seek out what they want to hear. True. And that's what I would, that's why I would hope that Twitter would keep people on there because then you have Donald Trump answering to disagreeing viewpoints and you have Nancy Pelosi answering to different viewpoints. And hopefully in the end, it would be a utopia where it's not Donald Trump being spit on by a bunch of bots, but by fact checking people or Nancy Pelosi being checked on by fact checking people where it's like a thoughtful discussion is held. I don't know if it's ever possible on Twitter, yeah. but maybe that's for a future day. But do you, I'll end because I know that we're running out of time, but me and Zim will always Has want to. Has it been to, an hour? It's been an hour. Is Zim will hear? No. Oh. But we, yeah. uh, we always are curious to hear people who come on. We ask, what do you think is like the point of this all? It's a big question. Oh, interesting. But the point of oh, interesting. even our discussion, our life, funny. our existence here. Um, I think, well, from my point of view, I think was the point of life. <laughs> yeah, it's a big one. But we um, like to hear people's, not like adulterated answers, hmm. but it comes from what you're thinking. Hmm. I mean, I think as a Christian, it's to become more like Jesus. Um and to to make my community a more like heaven every day. It's a good answer to yeah. me. I like it. Yeah. All right. Cool. I thought it was good. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Thank you, Chase. Thank you.